Welcome to the STRU Podcast, your number one online hosting community, helping you achieve your goals through short-term rental investing. Now, here's your host, Richard Furtig. All right, all right. Hello, everyone. This is Richard, founder of Short-Term Rental University and Airbnb Superhost. On today's podcast, I'm super excited to uh, welcome Danny Rustine. He's the founder of Optimize My Airbnb. And Danny, what I'd love for you to do uh, is introduce yourself and tell everybody where you are and what you're doing, and then let's turn to search engine optimization to help people get their Airbnb listings ranking better and more money in their pocket. Yeah, will do. The, a brief history of myself is I worked for Airbnb uh, from 2013 to 2016. I'm a, I'm a CPA by trade, so I worked in the accounting department. I worked in the local operations department for a, a few months at the end there. And then I started an Airbnb property management company, which I still run today remotely. And then I started OptimizeMyAirbnb.com uh, in mid-2016. Um, and that's what I do now pretty much full-time. That's what I focus on for sure. And I should say I'm here in right now, I'm here in Guatemala, Antigua, Guatemala. Uh, I'm here learning Spanish and how to dance salsa. And in order to help the Spanish part, I'm living with a local Guatemalan family. Uh, so, And they have a five-year-old kid, and, and I, I think there's seven people in the family. So there could be a bit of noise every now and then. I, I told them uh, I, have a, I have an important, a very important call with Richard, but just so you know, if, if there's a few screams every now and then, there's not much you can do about a five-year-old. No, totally cool. And that sounds great. You know, I think you're uh, the definition and personifying the digital nomad. So this is like the way I think people are going to be doing more things. And I think it's really awesome that you're doing it. Just by way of introduction, because I'm wearing a silly hat, um, I didn't realize that we were going to be doing this via video today. And I was skiing. I just moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Charles pulled me off the slopes and told me I had to do this podcast right now. And so I'm here, but I didn't have a chance to like, you know, shower up or anything. So we're both doing our thing. We're living life. And that's sort of the opportunity as uh, digital nomads and serial entrepreneurs. But without further ado, Danny, let's talk about how people are using your services and what they can do either on their own or with your help to improve their Airbnb listing. And before the call, you said that while you focus primarily on Airbnb, a lot of the same sort of um, techniques or methodologies apply to uh, HomeAway or I guess FlipKey maybe out of business, Booking.com. But tell us what you're seeing, what people can do, and then walk us through a little bit um, your business model, what you do for people. Yeah, sure. So the first thing I'll address is there's if if there's no secrets so if some people out there say you know i have this secret if you pay me this amount of money you get these secrets enroll in this course to get these secrets there's no secrets out there um all there is is what i've done is i've spent the last two years um working at airbnb being an airbnb host traveling on airbnb as a guest uh, creating a short-term property management company. I've just spent the last two years thinking so much about Airbnb that most people with a, with a regular nine-to-five job or any other job who don't spend all their waking hours thinking about how to maximize everything, they probably don't get to this depth, this level of depth of knowledge and just, it basically comes from just thinking about it. So, um, I put on my blog once a week. I put a new a new article, and so all my all my secrets will be there eventually. I also have a book, and all my secrets again in quotes are there. But 
there's so much um, it's it's a broad question there's so much you can do from my specialty is the online aspect of it so I tell people think of Airbnb just like you would think of Google uh, and a really high level whoever's whoever's website on Google gives the guest or the visitor the best experience the higher they're gonna rank that's the same with Airbnb with one big difference Airbnb's listings make Airbnb the company money directly websites don't have to make Google the company money so with that being said things like cancellations are a huge no-no things like not responding to guests timely are a huge no-no um, yeah so I focus on the online aspect the, the the offline aspect is huge the offline aspect is the reviews once the guest gets there they're gonna review you but there's there's a million things I can um, the biggest thing that so that a host could do right now is with photos because photos is the number one photos are probably like 80% of whether a guest books or not that's the first thing people see from P2 Airbnb calls it P2 P1 is the home page you type in Antigua, Guatemala, where I'm at. You press enter. P2 is that next page, which they've actually just switched it up. But normally it has two or three listings on the left side and then a map on the right side. They just they actually just switched it up. Have you seen this? The map is the same size, but eat, but there's one listing per row. They're testing that out. I haven't seen that yet. They're testing it out in some markets. I have been searching for stays. Yeah. Um, some, yeah, they test a bunch of things out all the time. Sometimes they do away with it. Sometimes they don't. But uh, either way, the search looks similar. You, you click on a listing. and, and uh, So that's P2. P3 is the actual listing. So the photo is the first thing that a guest is going to see on P2, the search results page. On P3, that's the first thing they're going to click. I mean, 95% of hosts, the first thing they do is click in the photos. Uh, a lot of hosts, the top things wrong with photos is there's too many photos. Rarely are there too few photos. Um, I suggest no fewer than 10. But if you have a one bedroom, one bathroom house without any outdoor space, you don't need 25 photos. It, you're gonna you're gonna bore the you're gonna bore the the guests. The I call them a future potential guests. Um, you're gonna bore them. So especially with Snapchat, uh, Instagram. Tinder, uh, what else do we have? All these, all these apps that people have, the, the, the human attention span has, has <laughs> dropped, plummeted. So those first, that first photo is good. Those first five photos are very important. You gotta just wow them with everything. Uh, and then don't have too many photos. A lot of hosts, believe it or not, have their best photos uh, in, the, in the end. When I optimize a listing, uh, Every single host, I'll do major changes with photos, whether that's adding a um, adding a uh, caption. Oh, another thing that I do uh, sometimes is if a host has a bunch of solid reviews, I'll actually screenshot a review and I'll put that into the into the listing. Uh, so because the reviews are all the way at the bottom of the listing, so and I'll put that in like the fifth, sixth, seventh photo. So they're scrolling by, and then I'll also have the the review will be responded to by the host. That shows extreme engagement. Um, it's not really a, it's not really a listing thing. It's not a ranking factor. But if a host, oh yeah, this is. I have a lot to say, so keep keep me on track if I'm going off track. But um, regarding reviews, I have a I have a business Instagram account, and whenever I see something especially 
egregious. I do a video on it. And the other day, this, this happens so often, it's incredible. So a host doesn't respond to any reviews. So my recommendation to, to start off is, I recommend a host respond to most reviews. You don't have to respond to every review. If someone says good place, you don't have to respond to that. But I, I recommend responding to most reviews, maybe three out of every four, three out of every five. A lot of hosts don't respond to reviews. The majority of hosts don't respond to reviews, but then they get that one negative review and then they start thinking, oh geez, I gotta respond to it. I wonder if I can. They figure out that they can and they respond to that negative review. So by doing that, all the host has done is called extra attention to that one negative review that they have. Um, so I recommend, I think you should respond to the review, but you should also respond to the other reviews too. And also a big point, um, this is what the video, this is a, the video I did on my uh, Instagram business page. It, this host had like nine reviews or so. There's some, there's some noise. <laughs> Can you guys hear that? A little bit. They're having a little fun. Bit. All right. They are having fun. Yeah. Um, so there's, so there's the, host, a, uh, the Instagram the host page. Has, yeah. So I, I did a review on this, uh, a video on my Instagram store as my business page. There's a host has a good listing. He has like nine, five star reviews. Um, and then at the review, all the way at the top, the review starts off good. It's, it's a, it's a long review and it starts off like, you know, this was an amazing experience. I'm glad I chose here. And then halfway through the review, the, the, the guest mentioned something mildly negative, like they had a little issue checking in. And the host responded to that, only responded to that negative point. And so future guests are going to read that. And if, if, the, if the host didn't respond, the future, the guests are just, they're skimming. They're skimming for negative reviews. They would have skimmed the first line or two. It's a positive review. Go to the next one, especially if it's long. They probably don't read every single one. So what this host did was he made every guest now go back and read that, read that review, that negative review. So instead what the host should do is on these huge reviews, this is especially powerful. I tell my hosts, pick out one piece of important information that's, isn't well expressed in your listing. Like, um, you know, you could have, let's say a rooftop balcony. Uh, you probably have a photo of that, but just for example, the, or your central location, the hosts, the, the guest comments on how central the location is, you know, one block off the main street. So it's quiet, but you go one block down and you have all the restaurants, the bars, there's a park next door. So, and, and the review is long by the guests cause they really like your stay. So I would pick out that one piece Re respond to it so now you're allowing because also keep in mind on airbnb the reviews are they're shortened if they're too long so now when you respond to that review with that one piece you're allowing the guest to, to skim your cliff notes of your listing oh okay it's super central location that's what that guest said oh it has parking and there's a big issue here yeah yep cool so let me just um say for the people that are listening uh everything that you've said we entirely support and endorse and we've created videos sort of suggesting the same things. Um, we believe definitely in, in uh, responding to reviews. We think it just shows engagement. And if you're a really good host, you are, you know, caring and you're concerned and you're engaged. And so the little act of responding um, is really important. I think photos are really important, um, like you've like you've suggested. And we've suggested that people go ahead and 
and do A-B testing with different thumbnails. Like just because you think it's the best photo or shows your place best doesn't necessarily mean that the world at large likes that photo as well either. And so we spend a lot of time suggesting that people, you know, just like a regular business, um, view this online presence as something that's uh, always to be improved and always tested and take new photos. So totally agree with all that. I guess my question now would be, We've talked about some of the best practices. You mentioned some things that are um, room for improvement is what we'll call them for hosts. But let's talk about the algorithms that are secret to Airbnb. We recognize that you don't know the secrets. I don't know the secrets. You know, Unless you work at Airbnb, no one knows the secrets or the algorithm. But what are some egregious things that will like put you in the penalty box? What are some things that Airbnb maybe has even expressed as these are things you should just not do so that if anybody listening to this has these flaws, these problems on their listing, they can quickly and easily correct them by the time this podcast is over and hopefully start to see their business improve. Yeah, there's a few things that for sure um, either put you in the penalty box or for sure would help you, kind of the same thing. Um, put you in the penalty box, obviously I'll lead off with an obvious one, cancellations. If you cancel on a guest, you're think about it from a business. That's why I try and get my all my hosts think about turn your mind. To, you're now an entrepreneur if you're an Airbnb host. So if you cancel on your guest, you're doing a few things. You're giving that guest a terrible experience. Uh, you and if you give a guest a terrible experience their first time using Airbnb, likely they're not going to return. They're not as likely to return as someone who has a good experience. So now you're you're taking revenue from Airbnb on that time and on the future time. And that, that guest, if they had a good experience, will probably recommend to other guests. So you're by one cancellation, you're making Airbnb the company miss out on a ton of money. So also you can't be a super host for a year. Um, a super host does not give you any additional ranking factor, but if you're a super host, you're ranking fine probably already. Uh, so do not at all cancel on your guest. Um, another thing, that's less less uh, known is not not putting enough words. There there is a minimum amount of words and not filling out every uh, text box. So there's some property management PMS companies, uh, property management software companies, um, or property management companies that manage your listing. They they have software that integrates with Airbnb more or less. And they put all the text into one box and they just categorize in that box. And so I'll see this sometimes. So two boxes are filled out, the other five or six are not. Um, you're telling Airbnb algorithm, Airbnb the company, hey, I'm not an engaged host. You know, I don't think these boxes are important. I'm just gonna fill up this box. Um, that's something that's not, you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that. Also, get yourself verified. I think probably two out of 10 hosts listings I looked at they're not verified and uh, getting yourself verified does give the guest more comfort a lot of first-time guests on Airbnb every day gives the guest more comfort also it it tells Airbnb the company this is an engaged host they're a real person it, it, it does help you in your ranking and when you say um, get yourself verified you mean like give them the ID and whatever um, verification uh, they require so that you your known entity to them. Yeah, airbnb.com forward slash verify. Okay, and is that something that like, I, 
I've been using Airbnb for years. I don't recall whether I did that or I didn't do that. But chances are on the onboarding, I've supplied all that and I am verified, right? So like the average person is verified. The average person is verified. The majority of folks are verified. And I've even seen some really successful hosts who aren't verified for one reason or another. So it's none of this is a requirement if you have everything else. But I recommend verifying yourself. Well, look, I mean, we're just trying to optimize, right? So this is for people, the people that are listening to this podcast are trying to improve their business. And if they haven't ver been verified, they should be verified. Let me ask you another question about penalty boxes. Um, and to your point, the inverse is generally true. So I'm, I'm approaching it from a negative perspective because I wanna remove pain and problems. Um, at the same time, to your point, the glass is half full, it's an opportunity. So what about um, rejecting requests to stay at your house. Do you think Airbnb penalizes you if you reject too many guests? Yes, I think that they do, definitely. If you request if you if you deny too many guests, they do penalize you. That is a one of the bigger pain points, check-in, problem finding a housing and cancellations. That's one of the big pain points for guests. So yeah, if you if you repeatedly deny guests, you're going to go down and search because Airbnb is going to give that guest to someone who's more likely to accept it. One or two denials every now and then, not an issue. But if you're denying, 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 yeah, some red flags will be raised. So one of the things that I have that I do personally on my listings, and um, I recommend that people follow suit, is instead of me rejecting the guest, I try and get them to reject or look elsewhere. And so what I mean by that is if somebody has never stayed in Airbnb and they have no reviews, I'll often ask a lot of questions and then I'll continue to get you know, more granular until I get a sense for whether I want to accept it or reject it. Again, I don't reject it, but what I'll point out is if they say that they're coming to town and they're having a bachelorette party or a 30th birthday party or something like that, I'll remind them because they probably haven't read the listing, they're just looking at the photos, that we have a no event policy. And so I'll thank them for their interest and say that we're probably not a good fit and encourage them to look somewhere else. And so I don't actually reject them, but they start looking somewhere else. And I'm hopeful, although I don't have any proof from Airbnb or the algorithm, that just letting this reservation uh, or this dialogue go back and forth, or even the reservation request, um, you know, time out on its own with dialogue is different than being like reject. Because I probably accept I don't know. I guess it depends on the property. Uh, but I would guess it's somewhere about 50% or less of my, of my guests. Mm, and I don't reject the other 50%. It's just, I'm very selective. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, so I, I wanted to make a quick point because you said you have a strict no event policy, which a lot of hosts have, but for those hosts who don't have that policy and are looking for extra income, there's actually a couple websites that are the Airbnb for events, and so I reckon I, I recommend this to some people who who want more uh, who want more events, especially in big cities. It's called Splacer.co. You could just type in Airbnb for events. So this is an option for hosts, any kind of vacation rental hosts who are okay with events, um, and these are these are uh, these usually happen during the day. So it's an option for for a lot of folks, but um, you don't have to. So that on the bottom of the listing, it says this host responds to 100% of inquiries within, um, I think it says within an hour or it has within a few hours, within 24 hours. 
So that doesn't mean that you click accept, pre-approve, or deny. All that means is you've made some sort of an action, and that includes responding via a message within the first hour. So you don't actually have to pre-approve or decline. So you're, you're, you're I'd say you're right. correct in doing that. Yeah, and and what I've um, since I have virtual assistants helping me with manage my calendar, I have uh, five or six places, Danny, that are listed, and and I like you. Um, try and automate as much as I possibly can and, and travel. And like I said, I just got off the ski slope. So I have uh, virtual assistants that help me manage my calendar and my bookings. And what I've trained them to do is oftentimes where they get hung up is when there's a question that they've never seen before. Um, I don't know, make it up. How far away are you from such and such? Or do you allow this? And they've never seen the question. They don't know how to respond. And so I have them respond instantly with, we're in receipt of your request. I'm getting the answer for you. We'll be back shortly yeah. or something like that. So like we respond and we have a hundred percent response rate. Um, and they know that, you know, we're on it and so on. So I think it's a better user experience and hopefully it helps promote my SEO versus dinging me. I totally agree. Do you use, do, have you used the, have you hired these people by yourself and trained them by yourself or do you use a company? No, I, I've sourced my own virtual assistants and hired them and trained them on my own. Um, I've tried autoresponder type um, software that helps automate the the management of it, but I find it too limiting currently. There's exceptions to everything. And I just found when it was turned on, we were accepting people that I wouldn't have accepted. Uh, it didn't give me the flexibility to make human decisions, right? It was all like, um, computer logic. And sometimes there's things in the communication that would lead me to a different response versus the computer. So I just hire people and train them myself. Yeah, it's a good idea. And your comment about uh, some of these autoresponders, they have a setting where if you don't respond within an hour, that, that time limit, or you can set it to 30 minutes, they'll send a similar message saying, Hey, we got your message. We'll respond in a little bit. Uh, and that's a good that creates a good user experience. I don't know if it has if it does anything for your search rank, but it creates a good user experience to know that all right, I can expect an answer soon. So, what else do you see happening um, in terms of best practices and and when people and we should talk a little bit about your service. Danny has three different levels of service where he will um, either give you um, suggestions on how to improve. Like the the first one you called, what did you call it, Danny? Basic. The startup, startup, startup host. Startup, okay. So walk us through what startup does and what that costs, and then walk us through the other two, and then I'll ask you a question about those. Sure. Uh, so on the website, optimizemyairbnb.com, I have I have many products, but the three products that are my main products that people come to me for are the three reports that help you with your online aspect of your listing. I have tips on how you can automate your listing and be a good offline host, but it's focused on how to how to create the best online listing you possibly can. And the three packages are startup host, advanced host, and super host. I update all of these reports on a, on a monthly basis with the new information I, I have. I, I read a ton online about these things, and I'm fortunate enough to get a lot of my prior customers and people who just follow me who've never who've never purchased anything they'll they'll ask me questions and this will lead me to be like oh that's a good idea so i update these reports monthly but the startup host is a report full of everything so it's it's not going to be specific to your listing you might 
all the information won't be specific to you, but it has all my information. So the difference between my three packages comes down to how much time do you have as a host to spend ingesting the material, researching it, and applying it to your listing. So the startup host package takes about takes about eight hours to read the whole thing, research a bit, and apply to your listing. The advanced host is is semi-customized. So with the, every advanced host, my eyes look at your listing, and I uh, create a report spe- semi-specific to your listing. So this one, I say, takes about four hours to read and ingest and apply the changes. You have to apply the changes on uh, startup host and advanced host. On superhost, um, it the the time requirement that you have is about thirty minutes, um, and I. I create all the changes on your listing. I do that myself. And I send you a report uh, with everything is specific to your listing. And then I save, for example, I change all the text. Uh, I, I change the photos, the reorder them, add captions. So I'll save all the photos, send them to you. I'll save all the original text, send it to you. So th- those are the three packages. The, the main difference is the time investment the host has. If, if the host has plenty of time on their hands and they want to really learn all this themselves, Order the, order the startup post, and then if you want to upgrade later, you can. But uh, that's my recommendation. Okay, and what sort of results do people see? So I measure results on only the, star, only the super host package. So I measure two types of results. I measure uh, how much income they brought in seven days after my optimization. And so that's less of a specific... Um, measurement because I can't I, I can't attribute I don't know how much of that I can attribute to what I did but with that said they earn about 700% of their average nightly rate so for example if your average rate is $100 a night uh, you can expect to earn about $700 in booking revenue over the next seven nights now I will say there's a wide variable there and about 20% of hosts don't see anything. So to be upfront, 80% do, 20% don't see anything. Um, they, I never get asked for refunds though because the listing is the listing uh, looks a lot better, and the tips I have in there are really valuable. Um, and then the other the other more accurate measurement, I take seven days before my optimization, and I see how much revenue they earned. And then seven days afterwards, I see how much revenue they earned. And this is about, it's, it works out to about 48% more afterwards. 48%? Or 1.48x, 1.5x right. more afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I mean, it's a little bit challenging because there's seasonality, right? So like it's, if there's no bookings, like there's periods in some of my properties where I don't get bookings for days, weeks, maybe even months um just because like people aren't searching you know i'm here in jackson hole come mud season which is april 1st when the mountains closed i imagine that this listing would do absolutely nothing the seven days before or the seven days after um you know your optimization i could be wrong but it just i want to set people's expectations that there's variability there's cyclicality there's seasonality how many platforms do you list on um i only list on two and in most of my properties, I'm on two. Um, in some of my properties, I'm on one because I'm busy enough. And um, to be perfectly honest, um, I spend a lot of my time and energy now trying to like 
encourage other people to get started and to optimize and improve. And so the YouTube channel and short-term rental university and so on is where I spend a lot of my time and energy um, as opposed to maximizing my individual properties. You know, I think we're doing so pretty I'm well. Gonna, I'm going to, um, I'd like to dispel a rumor and, and um, the, the rumor is this, you'll see on property management sites, you know, we list your site on the top 27 platforms. So this is incorrect. It does not help you. If, if you're a good host, depending on your location, you really only need one platform. And that's for a few. So what you just said, you, ha, you spend your time on something else. So if you list on, if these property management companies list on, you know, tw- 27 of the top platforms, well, what do you think your listing is going to look like on 27 of platforms? It's not going to be a good looking listing. So my recommendation is why not have a great listing and know that platform, one platform, and I obviously recommend Airbnb. There are exceptions. If you, some folks do need two or sometimes three, never more than three. But I suggest if you're on two or three, then make Airbnb or make one of them your main platform. Someone can book for the next six months. And the average booking is typically 30 days out. So then I recommend on that second and possibly third platform, only allow folks to book within 30 days where you're less and less likely to get a booking. And what that does is it helps you fill in gaps within 30 days or whatever that average is. Some folks are even at like 14-day averages. But also it, it concentrates your reviews on a platform and reviews are a huge ranking factor. I think that's great advice. And me personally, um, I prefer the Airbnb experience. I like the community. I like the mutual reviews. Mm-hmm. It's just a much yeah. better platform in my, in my own opinion versus HomeAway. That said, I do have a couple of properties that are in like traditional vacation places. And for whatever reason, um, I get, I don't know, maybe 20% of my uh, bookings through Airbnb and 80% um, via HomeAway or VRBO. And I think that's just because that's the nature of like the the location. People have been renting via VRBO for, you know, the last 10 years and they're not about to switch their habit to like Airbnb, you know? Um, so that's why I have two locations, but in, in the locations where I only have one, it's only Airbnb. And I like the concept that you just put forward, which is to create a second one that only allows 30 days, you know, and shorter, um, because that would fill in those gaps. Um, I've resisted listing it on a second one because there's just not that much availability and I don't want the hassle and I'd rather focus on like what's working, but I do, you know, if I could book one more night or three more nights a month, that's real money. Uh, yeah, just as long as that one extra night or three extra nights a month doesn't, doesn't, uh, take away from your initial listing because now you're devoting less time to keeping that listing up to date. Yeah. And also the fees, right? So like VRBO, there can yeah. be an annual fee, but um, let's talk about something that I think is um, really popular right now. For those of you listening to this YouTube uh, or sorry, for those of you listening to this podcast, you may be unaware of our YouTube channel. You may be where unaware of our Facebook group. Um, but we have, I don't know, 6,000 subscribers on YouTube channel. We have 6,000 plus members in our Facebook group. And one of the things that comes up consistently, and I would say it's almost like every single month somebody posts it, is this whole concept of gaming SEO via everybody wishlisting one another. Um, I personally have never wishlisted or asked anybody to wishlist my property. 
I literally only wish list places that I would like to stay. And I don't want somebody wish listing my property if they're not intending to stay. That said, it's a big thing. We see it all the time. And there's these groups and hundreds of people are wish listing and a lot of time and energy. So Danny, from your expertise in, in SEO on Airbnb, does wish listing move the needle? And if so, how? Yeah, that's a great point. The reason why you're you're hearing you're hearing more of this is because Airbnb barely ever says specifically this affects your ranking, this does not affect your ranking. Wish lists is one of those things that they have said affects positively your ranking. And there was just an article, I think about a month ago in Forbes, that also brought this up. This that Airbnb said wish list saves do increase your ranking. So a lot of people probably read that as it's Forbes. So that's that's where that's where all this is coming from. But with that said, wish lists do increase your search rank. And so if you can get your friends and family, I recommend the my host, if they can get their friends and family to to wish list their their property, it does have a positive effect. I'm not sure if the if three saves have a positive effect or you need three hundred. I don't know what aspect that is, but um, the more the merrier for sure. Okay, and now one thing that I want to just sort of say is while I agree with, um, it makes sense that wish listing would uh, drive up sort of like your visibility, right? Like if you're in high demand, Airbnb would like to put you forward. But here's a cautionary tale that I want to talk about because I also run other businesses outside of this and we talked about Google before. Um, once something gets abused, Airbnb and Google and Facebook and all these companies are not dummies, right? Like they are way smarter than we are and they have big data. Once they start to detect that something goes from like a helpful indicator to a hurtful indicator that it's like being gamified and it's no longer reliable, they can very quickly and easily turn it off. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, go ahead and Google like Google Panda update, Google Penguin update. A lot of small businesses that were taking shortcuts and sort of saying, I'm going to create content with keywords and stuff keywords and so on, found themselves going from the first page to like no page or last page. And they were literally run out of business. So that's a double-edged sword. And personally, my belief is I'm doing this for the long run. I own real estate. I've got 30-year, well, I personally use 15-year mortgages, but 15 years is a long time. I'm reliant on my guests and the income associated with being a host to make these monthly payments. And so I personally don't want to participate in anything that's going to be short-term great for a month, three months, one year, three years, but then has the possibility of hurting me for the last 12 years. So if people wish list me naturally, terrific. If my sister wish, wish lists me, okay, cool. But the concept of going on a Facebook group and asking 6,000 total strangers from all over the world and Airbnb seeing that I went from having like four wish lists to 474 overnight, I have a feeling that at some point Airbnb will say, hmm, we don't like that practice. <laughs> yeah, there's even, first of all, I'm not sure how effective that practice is of posting your listing on, on a group and then asking for people to wish list it. I, I, who, I, don't, I don't see a lot of people going out of their way to save your random wish list. A lot of the times these people posting this, it's their first post on the group. 
a lot of these groups have said, hey, don't post that anymore. So I'm not even sure how effective that is, but I know of at least one Facebook group which is dedicated only to this practice that you that you just brought up, wish listing. Um, but another another good point. So so I will. The they have said that wish lists do increase your rank, but at the same time, it almost seems like to me the folks that are running a bad air, uh, folks that are know what they're doing and running a good Airbnb, typically don't even they don't they don't need a extra review or extra wish list saves. It's typically the folks who are who don't really know what they're doing, who are looking for kind of like cheating, quick ways, quick fixes to do it. Right. And if so, those are naturally not the good hosts, um, anyways. So it it is kind of a double edged sword. It does help, uh, but don't yeah. Focus on being a good host for sure. I will say right, one other exactly. thing. About Please. these quick these quick fixes, uh, I get all the time. People say, "Hey, can you? I'll pay you. Can you leave me a review?" Um, and it's it's not a good idea. Reviews obviously do definitely help your search rank more than anything else, but it's very easy for Airbnb to figure out a fake review. If your listing is two hundred dollars a night and you lower it to forty five for a fake review, so you can avoid those fees, uh, that's that's a pretty big indicator. Um, you've mentioned big data before they're it's they can they can figure out fake reviews if you do one fake review probably not going to matter but i've heard cases where it does um, again focus on making a good listing optimizing your guests experience both offline and off and off, offline and online rather than paying someone to leave you one fake review yeah that's exactly right and, and um i think it's really important it's like everything else right like if you actually are doing a good job or creating good content or putting out a good Airbnb listing and you're being a good host, that will rise to the top. Airbnb and Google and Facebook and all these other companies that have all access to all this big data, that's what they're spending time and energy on is like who's doing a good job. And so I think that the service that you provide if people can't do it themselves, or you mentioned earlier that you write the reviews, a lot of people aren't natural writers and they're not marketing type writers or they're not travel type writers. And so I talk a lot about, you know, painting the dream and sell the dream. Like what's somebody going to come and do in your place? And why did you choose to buy this place or rent this place? Um, and it's natural to me and probably to you, but not to everyone. Somebody could be a great host and not be a great marketer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, having somebody help you in a legitimate way to improve your listing is probably a sound practice. But paying somebody to give you a fake review and to wish list you and to do all this stuff, you know, like that's just scammy. And it, I don't think that works in the long run. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's turn to... Um, Things that you see, uh, we keep talking about big big data. What sense do you have about where we are in the Airbnb um, cycle? Are we seeing more demand from from guests, or are we seeing more hosts coming online? There's a equilibrium there, right? People are very worried uh, in my community about too much competition in their neighborhood and driving prices down. Um, I have my own take on it, but I'd love to hear your opinion. Where are we in the life cycle of Airbnb and, and where's it going? 
Yeah, I think um, nowadays there, there's there's more and more hosts signing up. It does seem like the amount of hosts uh, outpaces the amount of guests right now. There's a lot of hosts signing up. But with that said, I also think there's a trend, a uh, bigger and bigger trend to um, being more location independent. For, for example, big offices. These are being now looked at like actually they're inefficient you don't need to work at a big office. And I myself have been doing this for three years, working from home or working wherever I am. But I've been starting to hear my friends who work at traditional corporate jobs. I have an accounting friend who works at Salesforce. She works at home two days a week now. And I've been hearing this so much, this trend. So if you if you don't need to work at an office anymore, then you don't need to live in a big city anymore. If you don't need to leave, live in a big city anymore, then cities like New York and San Francisco, they're not they're going to relax their short-term rental regulations. So that's going to create more more hosts, but also what it's going to do is um, it's going to allow folks to travel a bit more. They don't have to if they don't have to be in office, they don't have to live in the city. They don't have to they don't have to live in the city to do their job. So they can why do they have to do that one one uh, two-week vacation every year? Why can't they go and do a three-month vacation, but work while they're work while they're somewhere else? So I think this this is a trend for the next 10, 20 years. But I've been hearing some really traditional corporate jobs, lawyers, working from home one or two days a week, and that's surprised me. But I think it's gonna that that trend is gonna increase. I think you're entirely right. I think, and that's sort of um, my forecast of the world. I think the sharing economy is here. People share. Um, you know, co-working space at like WeWork, people share their homes via Airbnb, people share their cars via Uber. So this sort of um, sharing is here to stay. I think we're seeing a lot of people list their homes um, for rent, but I'm not sure that that's sustainable. In other words, I think there's a lot of people that try and get rich quick and jump on the next opportunity. And then they find out like, oh, wow, you know, the guests, they've had a decent amount of communication. Uh, they left the place kind of dirty. I don't really like to clean. Um, gee, this is more work than I thought. And I think there's a lot of people that don't know how to price. Um, they don't price their time properly. And so it's a grind if you don't do it well and you don't charge properly. And I bet there's a lot of turnover. So while we may see a lot of listings, I don't particularly feel the competition. I've been looking at my listings year over year. And with the exception of Colorado, that's had a terrible snow year. And so people are booking closer and closer to their travel dates. They're looking at the snow forecast. There's not great skiing in Colorado in the winter of 2018. So they're not booking. But that's not because there's increased competition. That's because there's a weather event. And unfortunately, my listing is down. But the rest of my listings are all up year over year. So even with this increased listing competition and more people coming to the platform, it seems like the people that are doing a good job and that really care and are engaged and are providing good experiences and reviews and doing all the best practices, we're doing better. It's like there's more there's more demand for our homes than there is supply of our high quality homes. That's good to hear because I think part of it might be the business that I'm in. Someone's you're not going to probably come to me if you're do if you're maxed out every month. The people who come to me. <laughs> aren't getting any guests um so that's probably my that's probably that could be a filter that i have put on myself 
based on the type of hosts that come to me. So that's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, and, and what I've told my listeners or people that watch me on YouTube is I've never seen a location or a property type where this doesn't work. Um, so people worry about I'm in a walk up or I'm in a suburban area or there's nobody coming to this area. I think if you market it properly and and use, you know, perhaps your services or your best practices from your book or whatever, that this is here to stay, right? Like this isn't going away. And so I think that there's better investment areas and worse investment areas, but I've yet to see an area where it's like, nope. Airbnb and VRBO do not work there. Um, so I think that the people that are hiring you are probably are, are having difficulty in the marketing component. And there's a real art to the marketing. There's a real art to the photos. There's a real art to telling people what you can do in the space, right? That, that's why, that's why you know, people that write travel blogs uh, do it better than, than we do. Um, they're experts at that. And so I think there's a time and a place and you're probably helping a lot of people that, that are suffering. And I think we could all improve by the way, right? Like my listing could be better than, than it is currently. There's always room for improvement, but I just think that we have to separate sort of the, the business component from the marketing component of it. And I think that every place that I've seen works. One, one comment on your, uh, related to this so I have a strategy for for these listeners and for people who have plenty of guests. You can you cannot have enough guests. What I do is I'll I'll send a so I do use an automated messaging system, uh, and at the end of the reservation, I'll send to every guest who had a good experience, which is ninety nine percent of guests. I'll send them a message that basically gives them a friends and family discount. So I say, hey, if you or your friends are coming to town. Um, I not only have this listing, but I have these couple other listings. Reach out to me, and you know I can give you. You can do anything if you if you don't book midweek that well. You just give them a discount for midweek, or if your average stay is three days, say here's a discount if you stay five days, or here's a discount for these six months, whatever. But uh, some sort of a friends and family discount, then you open up your net to not only them but all their friends and families, and that brings in additional guests in the future. It could be. By the way, it's not like tomorrow you get an inquiry. Usually, it's six, seven, a year later, but it does come back. No, that's a great, great tip, right? Like the people that are happy at your place are going to be your biggest advocates and most likely to share the information. So, if you give them a reason to share the information, then uh, they'll likely rebook. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Well, look, I think this has been super helpful. Again, for people that that either. Um, know they're not good at doing this and that their listing needs help. We, we were doing um, free reviews for a period of time uh, on our YouTube channel. So there's probably 10 or, I don't know, 20 reviews that we've done. I think Charles has created a playlist on our YouTube channel, which is Short-Term Rental University. So you can see the kind of things that we've done when we optimize listing reviews. But for people that need help and that YouTube channel isn't enough and, and know they want some help, Danny is the expert in this area. He's got a few different packages that he walked us through. So depending on your level of involvement and your resources, um, reach out to him. I, I'm a big fan. I believe this wholeheartedly. I do this myself with all my businesses. It takes money to make money, right? So don't yeah. think you're saving yourself $100 um, by not hiring Danny. You might save $100 and cost yourself 10000 this year. If you need help, 
then you need to hire somebody to do it for you. Um, we stopped doing the reviews because it was very, very time uh, intensive and it was too focused for me one-on-one. -on -one. I'm trying to teach as many people as possible um, the, the tips that I know work really well. For those of us that want to get even more granular, we've created paid memberships at STR University. We have a bachelor's track, which is for people that are smaller or newer or just getting started, maybe one or two listings. And then we've created a master's track where we have people that are doing this professionally or as a business. Um, they want more hands-on involvement. But even in both of those areas, we don't do very much on the individual one-on-one -on -one listings because it's just very time-consuming and laborious. And we're really happy to have Danny here as an expert um, who does do this kind of stuff. And if you need help, reach out to him. Yeah, and one, one other thing. I wrote a book published in January last month called Optimize Your Airbnb. And it's a book, it's a book of strategies for the intermediate and the advanced Airbnb hosts. And obviously, it's at a much smaller price point than that $50 price point. Um, you're just going to have to read and apply the concepts yourself. But uh, that's on the website for that is optimizeyourairbnb.com, the book website. Cool. Um, all right. Well, listen, Danny, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I think this is yeah. really helpful. I think that people that need help, they now have a resource. So I'm glad that you were able to um, join us. Is there anything in, in the last minute here or so that we didn't cover that you'd like to cover or any thoughts or tips that uh, you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, there's a ton, but I'll, I'll, this is a big one. <laughs> Um, present the information to your guest only when the guest needs that information. And so to put more substance around that, a lot of, if you have a bunch of house rules, so for example, if you're a host and in your house rules, you have checkout information, you are um, not following this rule. The guest doesn't need to know this information until checkout. So in your listing, the only text that should be in the listing should be text that the guest needs to know before listing. What's going to get them excited about booking your place? If there's uh, if there's a you know if there's trash pickup every Tuesday at 3 a.m. and it wakes you up every week, then this is something yeah they need to know beforehand because that's about setting expectations. But the overarching only send your guest information, provide your guest information at the time they need information. So one more example is for me. Uh, four days before check when a guest books i say hey three days before check-in i'll send you specific check-in info and i have that in a guidebook that i that i create and i'll send it to them actually four days before because i found that about just over three days they'll start emailing and say hey i realized i don't have the uh the address or the check-in info the the lock code so i'll send it to them four days before saying hey here is your check-in info and then checkout info i'll send 18 hours before checkout, 5 p.m. Checkouts at 11 a.m. the next day. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense, right? Like you, you don't want to give them information that causes them to pause or reconsider or get distracted. Um, the, the point of the listing is to set their expectations and get them excited to convert. Um, I personally will also use that time to weed out bad guests for me. Um, and I'm at a point in my business where I can afford, I can take the variability, I can take the vacancy. And so I would rather ha miss bad guests 
then have a bad experience for both of us. And so in my listing, even though it may be counter to what you would suggest or others, but I will say, you know, no events or no parties or no additional guests or whatever it is that is important to me so that I'm sort of distilling down and attracting the kind of people that I want to attract, that I know have a good experience, that are going to be good neighbors to my neighbors in my community. And I'm sure it's cost me some business, but I'm sure it's also saved me some really bad headaches. And yeah. in order to do this sustainably and repeatedly for you know decades, I need to avoid those big problems, right? Like <laughs> the people that are going to come and tear up my place and party or cause <laughs> disruption to my neighbors, they're going to derail my entire business. And so I take one extra step in all of my listings and tell you, you know, this might be a good fit if you fit into these categories or this might be a bad fit if you're looking to do this, that or the other. Counterintuitive, but it works really well. We self-select. Yeah, definitely. I, by the way, I would, rather, I would rather those bad guests. I would rather those bad guests book my competition, blow them <laughs> up and their business up, and then I stay, you know, free and clear. Yeah, I would rather deny five guests. Four of them would be good, and one of them would be bad, rather than accept five and get that bad guest because one bad guest, like you said, exactly. could be a really bad guest. But I, something else came to mind about. Um, it came to mind earlier when you were talking. A trick that, that I do sometimes in my listings is at the very end of the listing, I'll say, hey, in your subject or in your text, in your message, give me a code word. The code word I use is banana pancakes, just so I know you read the listing because you know I have important stuff in there. And so when guests send me messages more often than not and don't have that word in there, I just reply to them and say, hey, uh, I just find that guests fit in better. It's a better experience when they read the whole listing. So um, please go ahead and do that and then send me back a request. And, and usually they get the point. Those that don't get the point, I don't want. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think that that's a common mistake that new entrants to Airbnb and hosting, they think that what they're trying to do is maximize occupancy. And mm. they view occupancy as sort of like the success barometer. And my success measurement is profitability. Um, and repeated profitability. So missing those bad apples and they are out there. There are people that'll say we're a family of four and they're 14 yeah. people, or they yeah. will say that we're coming to have a nice little dinner party and it's a rave. Um, you know, they know how to like massage their message too. And you just need to be careful for that. Again, if you want to do events and I have a property that does a lot of, um, commercial events, we do photo shoots. We've had uh, NBC filming, uh, law and order in there. And so like, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, we have insurance, we have guidelines, we pre-price differently. If you do do those events, you have to get paid for them. There's a lot more risk and liability and wear and tear. Um, I recommend at least two times, but on some of these things, it's five times. You have to know what the budget is. Anyway, I think that that's um, really great that you pointed that out, Danny, and I really appreciate your time. Um, if yeah. anybody wants more information or to hire Danny, you'll find him at, go ahead and repeat the URL. Uh, the website is Optimize My Airbnb. The book website is Optimize Your Airbnb. Both are .com. Cool. And I really appreciate you um, being there for our listeners because uh, we get requests all the time for people that want our help with their reviews, and we just don't have enough time to do it and do all the other stuff. So here's a resource for everybody who's asking. 
Um, and uh, Danny, really appreciate your time. Good luck with the book. Good luck with the salsa dancing in Guatemala. <laughs> and good luck with the Spanish. And uh, muchas gracias por todo, mi amigo. De nada. Thanks for having me. I hope I provided <laughs> some. Uh, I hope I've brought a lot of value to your to your uh, your listeners. I think you have, and I think anybody who's spending time and energy to help other people and help other people become self-reliant and entrepreneurial and less dependent on a W-2 job or so on, I think is um, the wave of the future. And so I really appreciate your time and effort in that regard as well. So that does it for another episode of the STRU podcast. As always, all links mentioned are in the show notes below. And if you found this show helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. If you're serious about short-term rental investing, be sure to check out str.university. Till next time.